So in the monastery now, as uh, is generally the case, we're not on a silent, solitary retreats. We're engaged in activities, and uh, we spend a, a reasonable amount of time, you know, actually just doing things, uh, working, grounds, logs, cleaning the dishes, fixing the kitchen, doing the emails, you know, doing the gardening, driving the truck, and organizing who's going to be doing what, cleaning up, tidying up afterwards, trying to learn you know, how to operate more effectively and appropriately in terms of our, our requisites, so the tools are getting looked after and uh, requisites that have been offered by lay people are properly being handled and not wasted or broken or spoiled. And we spend a considerable amount of time, you know, with that focus. And this is just this monastery and then you have various other you know, bodies that, that arise in these situations, deal with publications bodies, make sure things are dealt with properly, what's produced is good, clear dhamma, it's been properly dealt with, and so forth. We have, you know, sangha meetings where issues such as child protection and, um, you know, uh, starting new monasteries, these are discussed and talked about and guidelines laid down. We're very much it's a world. <laughs> it's a world. Manifest conditions in this world. So this is really to uh, acknowledge. You know, we may be aiming for the unconditioned and nibbana and realizing there's emptiness and not self. But actually, a lot of the time we're operating as if there is people and things and buildings that are solid and you know, and the future and we were looking to you know not exactly progress but sustain this practice and situation into the future. Yeah, it's, how does this fit in with the ideas that we're not you know craving for a future. It's not Bawa Tanna wishing to become something. It's not about identities. You know? How does this all work out? And this is, you know, part of the beauty of my opinion of the Buddha's Dharma is it there's no break. The two do fit together. And if they don't fit together, something's wrong. You know, if the conditions of your daily life are not, you know, giving rise to paths to the unconditioned, Something's going wrong. If we imagine unconditioned just pop up out of nowhere without a path, this is not what the Buddha teaches anyway. It's a path. A lot of our practice is path. And sense of trusting the path, so it's actually the path that leads to the unconditioned, not me. <laughs> you know, and there's it. So one is really aligning this. Uh, Body, mind, heart, thoughts, actions with path. And in the course of that, you know, we take on various forms, positions, duties, responsibilities, um, relationships.
we become people. It's called that. This is called the sapurisa. Sapurisa is the good person. Literally the good man, but I don't think it's androcentric fixation. This is about being a good person. And this, the good person is considered to be the bedrock. You know, the first thing that arises in terms of the first condition that should be established, association with good people. Yeah. It's the first condition that one seeks as uh, uh, someone seeking after liberation. Because yeah. he says if you associate with good people, you're bound to get some good dhamma. You get good dhamma, you're bound to learn about sila, about sense restraint. You get that, you're bound to get some sense of you know, right view. You're bound to get some sense of proper mindfulness. That's established, you're bound to be able to get through the five hindrances. That's established, you're bound to be able to establish the enlightenment factors. And so on and so on and so on. So the bedrock of it is good people. How does one become a sapurisa? Yeah. How do you associate with good people? And you realize in actuality, as much as we can learn from books and talks, these are really only maps. And uh, when you walk, you want to walk the ground, not just look at the map. And walking the ground is association with good people. Yeah. And you do that and you learn to sense what good people mean and feel like you're not just blown away by charisma or fancy words, but you really hang out and you in a sense of trust, relational clarity. Yeah. And this is the way you begin to you know be formed by being with good people. This is the way we grew up. You know, when you're a baby, you don't get given a manual on how to be a human being. You start to look around and see what's happening. Uh, and this is the way the, the person arises, but the normal person arises not within the matrix of Dhammavinia, but within the matrix of worldly conditions, praise, blame, you know, progress, failure, you know, and so forth, competition, pushing forward, yeah. worldly aim values, materialism, uh, and, and so forth. And they, they, we are formed with that. This is called the person. The person arises as a, a series of programs and structures and duties and behaviours where citta awareness meets conditions and the untrained awareness meets unskillful or worldly conditions in an unskillful, untrained way and so that becomes the person and as we meditate we begin to acknowledge yeah, there's a lot of defects in what I have become you know a lot of heedlessness, a lot of running on, a lot of indifference, a lot of 
difficult places, undernourished places, lack of self-respect, lack of gravity, lack of clarity, there's some missing pieces, and there's some pieces that are, that are over-present, you know, obsessiveness, fixation, views and opinions, competition, jealousies, you know. Relationships are not not pure. And you might think you're a bad person. That's not the way you look at it, really. You say, no, the, the person that's been formed has been formed with, through the, the wrong kind of influences. Therefore, these are the results. One is a sense of compassion, clarity, but also urgency. Because if I'm still operating that way, for sure I'm going to start modeling people in that way. We all affect each other. Yeah. As it said, Asewanachabalanam Panditanchasewana Sutta. Don't associate with foolish people. Associate with the wise. They sound judgmental. It's pragmatic. <laughs> because you start to pick up the habits. <laughs> You associate with the wise, you start to not pick up habits. You notice what they're not doing. You notice, not just intellectually, but you notice it in the heart. There's no harshness here. Therefore, I don't feel defensive. There's no sniping and gossiping. Therefore, I feel safe. There's no fault-finding and comparison. Therefore, I feel comfortable and at ease and accepted. You notice what isn't there. You notice, what, you notice what is there. The willingness to pay attention. Yeah. The uh, offering of uh, support. You notice what is there. And it starts to shape you. And this is where we really learn deep learning, not just intellectual learning, deep learning, because it begins to reform what you are living with not just what you're thinking but actually the way your reflexes and your priorities occur this is the sapurisa and just to bear in mind that that, um, this may be foundational but the Buddha never left this foundation it's not like you do the foundation and after five years you can scrap that and move on to the next level. No, the foundation always remains and it gradually other things develop from it. But like a tree never leaves its roots, how big it gets, the Tathagata does not stop being a good person, a person of truth, a full person. In fact, the roots, as the root of the tree, grow deeper and wider as they develop. So in this way, we, it means that the, 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 the you know the whole scenario of being a functioning human being in a place of other people and things to do and so forth is a place where enlightened ones live and bring to perfection. You know this whole thing that has been kept going through people living it, and we inherit that. 
This is the real uh, treasure. Not just looking at old books. We're inheriting a life force, living qualities and ways of life. Then we can model those, be felt by them and encouraged. I think it's a much healthier way to look at it rather than start with an atar, not self, and start trying to annihilate something or be nothing or how many somethings you have to be before you be nothing or what states and you have to get to before you get cessation of all conditioning. Oh, <laughs> you know, too much thinking. <laughs> yeah, too much thinking. It's just going to get head. Yeah. Be a good person. What was that about? Well, for a start, you know, as a person, you have a body. So, you know, Tathagata, you know, Tathagata definitely described as, you know, Tathagata says, the Buddha says, you know, Ananda. My back aches, I'm taking a rest. You give the talk tonight. Oh wow. There's something the Buddha and I had in common. We both had backache. <laughs> I didn't say it's all anatta, I need you to do anatta, forget about it, it's only your feelings. He said, No, my back aches, I'm gonna take a rest. Oh, oh thank goodness. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> you know? The targeter may be a profound realization, but it's also you know, shedding at the targeter's blood, heinous crime. It also refers to definitely a flesh and blood person. <laughs> you know, the back. You know what he's saying, you know, in his last days, he says to the Ananda, you know, let's go, I want to sit in the sun. That's much the body. The body feels old and tired, and skin's all wrinkled. And then it's giving a massage. It's saying this body's just like an old cart. You know, just hung together with leather leather straps. But definitely, you know, it's there. He's working with it. In his initial realization, well, coming out of disembodied states, where he's going to these realms of neither perception or non-perception and nothingness and infinite consciousness, you know, he was already doing that. You think, well, pretty impressive. But the realization came from getting back into the body, breathing in, breathing out. This kind of pleasant feeling. This is not unskillful. This is skillful. Could this be the way? Yes, this is the way. But definitely coming out of this abstract and into something very grounded and concrete. You know, we can all relate to that. And he never left that. It's like the root tree doesn't leave the root, he stayed with that, of course, it developed. Always touching the ground. Uh, and all his teachings 
Okay. The Tathagata teaches out of compassion, out of sympathy for other beings. Hmm. Now the training rules saying the Tathagata lays down a teaching of restraint out of compassion for householders. So they're not feeling pestered or browbeaten or somehow manipulated by summoners whose attitudes are wrong. They don't raise rules of restraint out of compassion for householders. But, so it's a definitely relationship and awareness of the delicacies of human relationship. And, uh, So this really means being a full, proper, conscious, morally attuned, sensitive person. <laughs> if you work with that, then what happens, of course, is in that living matrix, that living form, you're constantly meeting these little manipulative tendencies or dismissive attitudes or critical or comparative stuff Oof. clean that one off niggardliness, begrudgingness hot-tempered you notice that mm. yeah brings up, bring it, brings up, comes up, doesn't it? okay you know, as they say, you know, you have a nice retreat left on your own, solitude night retreat, say, okay, when you've done that, go and visit your mother, see how long your enlightenment lasts. <laughs> you find yourself getting impatient, you know, when she's treating you like you're ten years old. <laughs> she's starting to get niggly and irritated, silly old thing. Oops, <laughs> what happened to your enlightenment? <laughs> you know? Walk it down the street and see how long it lasts. <laughs> this is our training. And it's much healthier, I think, just to look in terms of, you know, of cultivation and training, which meditation is a part, and a very important part, but it's sitting within something much wider, so you don't you don't forget the roots because of the flowers. Everybody likes flowers, but roots are much more important. You know, some guidelines on this transformation or this shifting of what affects what, how this manifest so-called person arises. It's shaped around qualities such as, well, being embodied. You know, the Buddha saying, you know, his realization is established on mindfulness of body. He says you don't realize the deathless unless you have mindfulness of body. Um, 
deathless is lost on those who do not have mindfulness of body. Very firmly, simply stated. And even in, in this very body, experience the rising of the world and the passing of the world. In this very body, you can be you can touch the deathless in this body. Touching the deathless in the body, touching the jhanas in the body. Everything's referred back to this. You think, what's it? This is not quite the body that I look at in the mirror, is it? That doesn't touch the deathless. <laughs> so they start to realign to the dumber body. The average person is formed by the sense body, by what they look like, clothes they wear, facial features particularly, hair. And the Buddha is saying, no, this is just debris, the husk, you know, deluding, waste of time. And all the kind of contact impressions, touches that arise from that, these are not something to be, don't get lost in that. But there is a, a, a more sublime body, you enter internally, and mindfulness immersed in body. It's the kind of called the internal body for a simple term. And we, it's basically, you could say, it's your nervous system or your somatic intelligence, sense of where you feel a sense of relaxation or shock or fear or joy, that gut knowledge, heart knowledge, all that inner sensitivity. It's very much associated with uh, emotional qualities. So it's very much connected to heart. This is why it's so important, because of course this heart is extremely affected by fear and greed and jealousy and hurt and remembers things and it's programmed with unpleasant habits. And it's also that which has to be purified and can bring forth beautiful qualities. Um, one of the primary means is to use the body as a way to steady this inner body, to stay, to stabilize, to ease, to support, to restrain, to gladden the heart, chitta, heart of awareness, heart has an awareness to it, has an intelligence to it. And this is really uh, establishing this. Most of us will assume intelligence is intellectual, is a conceptual activity. And it's true. There is that. And it's highly um, energized. And generally, in most monasteries, they say, just turn that one down. Don't switch it off, but just turn down the flame on that one. <laughs> you don't have to sit in meditation for very long without recognizing the, the need of that because it's always abstract, it's always going out 
to what should be and could be and will be and won't be and was and what she thinks and what I am and what I'm not and what this says in this book and that book it just knows no ground does not know ground does not know stop doesn't know that so you you know it's always telling you about something and comparing it with this and that and forming views just just loosen that one up how do you do that? when you start recognising feeling in the body from just the basic sense of you know mostly people will be very aware of their faces their eyes so you relax that and begin to spread your awareness down your body rather as if it's body's like an absorption like a cloth it's gradually water or some pleasant fluid is saturating it so let your awareness spread down that entire sheet of the body rather like water gradually permeating absorbent sheet so you feel the whole body is there you feel it and you're feeling it not in the particular details of physical sensations but in the general impression of being sensitive and present and that's your foundation when you, when you begin to withdraw from details into this whole grounded present it's warm it's alive you, you can feel the breathing in there the kaya sankara the bodily formation breathing being the healing and moderating process within the bodily formation kaya sankara bodily energy steadying that it seems so so what until you notice you know, when I'm lost my temper I completely lost my body I was up in my head when I was busy and distracted I completely lost the awareness of my body I was thinking about this thing. I didn't realise I had feet or legs gone yeah. when I was getting caught up in a view and an opinion didn't have a back didn't have legs again it's just all head that's interesting now you get the whole body and relax it skin around your eyes and face particularly it's very difficult to actually hold an opinion maybe could be what's it feel like and you can feel that tensing up of tanha craving thirst that tensing up of views and opinions that tensing up of fear and aggression yeah. Yeah. you can feel it you don't have to judge it or criticise just feel it oh, breathing out relax it it's simple you know, working with that as a simple you know, ongoing meditation through the day right? 
because that's something you, you know you, you walk around in one of these things all day long and you're using it like uh, as, as a barometer you know I'm getting a little bit uppity a little bit stressed a little bit got to do got to do got to do you know, just a minute where's the feet right okay let's get grounded again getting caught up in silly chit chat don't start complaining about yourself just acknowledge it what's happening in your chest heart, belly come out of it and that's the way you learn and you learn also the whole body held in this way is rather pleasant lightly pleasant, agreeable fluid um, agile it's exceptionally um, sensitive and intelligent. It's also pretty firm. And it acts. When you sense that, it acts as the a way of really understanding something. Because when that when you have a, a sense of ethical clarity or determination. That body goes, yes. It firms up. And when we've been manipulative or crafty or deceitful, it doesn't. It goes twisted or hard or sharp or soggy. So it acts as a barometer of true inclination. So much so that this process of meditation is to purifying this bodily basis so that you've got something you can assess things with rather than just going, what does it say in the book? What's my opinion and view? Who's right? Who's wrong? Something is it? Wait a minute. No, it doesn't feel right. Not now. It doesn't feel right. Sometimes it means it's never right, or sometimes it means it's not appropriate now. It's too panicky, it's too desperate, it's too hot-headed. Let's just wait. So you get timing. This is the qualities you notice in Sapurisa, wise beings. They're not necessarily going to immediately give you an answer. So they're not reading off the page. They say, right now it's not appropriate. You're not going to be jumping up and down, getting in a panic or a state, or frankly, got to do this, that, and the other. First thing is the ground. And uh, this is some of the privileges one has in associating with my being. You, know, you go and visit somewhere like Lumpur Liam, you don't see Lumpur Liam's a pretty busy, active person. You never see him break sweat. It's just always calm, easy, relaxed. Just, you know, nothing special. This man's built. <laughs> Incredible amount of building this person's done without getting busy <laughs> or manifesting it. Just oh, go and do some duties, welfare the song, go knock something out. Okay, a few people want to help out. 
we can do quiet. Quiet. And yet doing a huge amount, and yet never frantic, busy, overburdened. Yeah. And one year it was Wat Pa Pong and you know, it's like maybe thirty thousand people gonna turn up in the monastery for the annual celebration of Lumpur Cha. Thirty thousand people turning up in the monastery. Volume just no, nothing much is happening really. Yeah, just stuff is going on the way it normally does, but nothing really to get that bothered about, excited about. <laughs> you know, he'd rigged up a he'd gone down a few weeks previously and built a pump so they could pump water out of the local dirty old pond. Because he thought, well, you know, I don't want to bring, have the army bringing water in because that means if they bring water in, which they would do, it means other people don't. We're taking it from other people. We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't have bottled water coming in. We'll just this old dirty old pond. I'll ask the villagers' permission, rig up a, a pump, or we'll have some filter, and we'll drink that. <laughs> that was, and then just we'll just. Things will happen. And never, no sense of, oh my goodness, what's going to work? What's going to happen? Is everything all right? No, no panic, no urgency, no anxiety. Just do the duty. That's interesting. Because the person definitely preparing, carefully thinking something through, but open. open. It's like, people could turn up, could, you know, anything could happen really. Just open, because realizing if you stay grounded, free from anxiety and worry, you're more liable to be able to respond properly than if you're anxious and busy. <laughs> it's a simple pragmatism. If you're getting worked up and anxious about what you're about to do, that's going to distort your body, your heart's intelligence. So the best way to prepare for something is don't prepare too much. Just prepare the fundamental thing and prepare your mind to be open. That was the Char's advice giving Dhamma talks. Don't prepare because you might miss it. You might miss it by having too many words in your head. <laughs> Prepare by preparing yourself to be balanced, grounded, open, sympathetic, and speak the truth. Something will happen, and somebody will like it, somebody won't like it, somebody will walk out, somebody will fall asleep, somebody might. Be inspired and realization. That's not up to you. Do your duty. And uh, that proper relationship. So, you know, the Sapurisa, by establishing this kind of intelligence, which is sensitive, embodied, 
And we begin to pick up the first qualities are, as the Tathagata himself, Anukampa, sympathy for beings, primary quality. Not that like people, don't like people, she's my friend, he's a bit weird, I don't think I bother with her. No, she doesn't like me. No, not quality to establish. I'm better. No, he's better. No, not a quality to establish. Not a quality to establish. Quality to establish is sympathy, resonance, mutuality, just like me. Potential for confusion, clarity, liberation, and defilement. Mm. And then that sense, you could say it's open relationship, is relatedness with no fixity on who, or looking for particular qualities, or even looking for results. You just are openly relating. And the heart rises and sensitive to with a sense of conscience and concern, establishing ethical orientation. Whether you're better than me, whether you like me, whether I'm feeling I'm useful, I will I will remain in ethical orientation. That gives me definitely a place to stand much more securely than am I doing enough? What do you think about me? Much which is very confusing. But we do need to have some relationship to other people. And you begin with that ethical orientation. And rather than just, well, there's a series of do's and don'ts. It's uh, based upon conscience and concern, kindness and compassion, awareness of the sensitivity and the effects one can have on other people and the effects they can have on us. We're just pausing. How is this? How is this? How is this? Tell me. And with that, you know, it's much softer, more free from righteousness, free from blame. In fact, once ethically oriented, you're saying, please, let me know if I'm putting my foot in it. I want you to tell me. How am I going to know? I want to get it right. I want to not because I want to be perfect, because that channel is important for my own to see what I had not seen. And the Buddha says, someone who's keen on liberation should be someone who's keen on getting that kind of message. Not and then and it's not you know, blame, criticize, you know, or you're trying to get yourself 
ruled by fear of moral judgment, but there's something beautiful here that needs to be protected and cared for. Because this interaction with other people is our primary learning book. You want those pages to be straight, open. This is where we picked up our bad habits, where we transmitted our bad habits, and this is where we do the opposite. And so it's much, so that heart quality of conscience and concern, people you don't even like them, but still, it does you no good to have a negative, critical mind. Does you no good at all. So the noble one is one who makes little of others' faults, speaks rarely of them. What's the point? And someone who's like that, when you hear that the egress, he never, I've never heard one of, one of the elders in this room, who I've lived with for over 30 years, I've never heard him say a critical comment about other people. Never heard a sarcastic hurtful, gossiping comment. You think, oh, this is someone who's not going to say anything about me. <laughs> what does that, you know, how does that feel? You suddenly feel very open, safe. And uh, of course, there's uh, other things that uh, you know people are normally oriented not around really about ethical clarity, around law, getting busted, <laughs> what I can get away with. Nobody will notice this. Everybody else does it. So what? It's only a government. And nobody's going to mind anyway. And have one of those and parking. You know, that kind of mind. <laughs> what I can get away with. <laughs> Or he deserves it anyway. <laughs> what kind of mind is that? <laughs> and as this, we begin to get the real understanding through that, because you begin to recognize, yeah, there are those tendencies that rise in the heart. What is the purpose of my life? Purification. Purification. You set that up beginning of your day. We're not here to get the work done. We're not here to make a great monastery. We're not here to be the most powerful teacher. We're not even here to be teachers. We're here to purify the heart. And trust that will keep the Dhamma going. And we're not here to be the most efficient place or the most whatever. We're here to purify. Purification 
to take over the rest of the Western world <laughs> with the true Dharma. Yeah, to purify the heart. Yeah. When Lumpur Sumedho received his invitation to come to Britain, he said, I haven't come here to spread Buddhism. I've come here because kind people invited me. Yeah. And Bajar, you know, suggested I go, requested I go, they invited me. I've come here to continue my practice. I'm here to establish Buddhism in the West. I'm here to continue my practice because kind people have asked me out of sincerity for their welfare. So I'll do it. So you can, you know, and based upon that, right, what has happened? Based upon that, very simple, you know, sincere people have invited us, we continue our practice, keeps it grounded, keeps it within reach, not launching programs. English Sangha Trust said, we're here to support you, we're not here to create retreat centres, you don't have to teach anybody anything, you're here to, we're here to provide the four requisites so you can live the holy life, that's it. If you choose to teach, fine. If you've got the capacity to do so, that's fine. That's a pretty amazing gesture, I think. And something we should also really have confidence in. That the purification of the heart will have its effects. In this system, because this system is a relational experience, May people come, people come, people come, people go. Open place, that effect. It's going to have an effect, and because purification heart is a powerful quality, people know it when they sense it. Builders who come here know it. Contractors know it. People who came here to fix the drains know it. <laughs> Not because they come to a meditation, because they came and met some summoners, and were amazed at their deportment their honesty, their humour, their clarity, their openness. It shows. People turning up. You know, some builder comes with his wife, <laughs> picks up a brochure on meditation because of that. So, you know, it's, it's a, as Jin Shah said, you know, don't, it's, it's, you know, when we landed in Hampstead, in this tiny little townhouse in Hampstead, Eight million people, crazy people running around the rest of this massive city. Who's gonna, what's the, who's gonna, you know, how's this gonna grow? He said, you know, you just cook good soup, people will find out. Do your practice, right people will turn up at the right time. That's how he got given this place, <laughs> right? Through going on arms round, complete waste of time, arms round in England. Complete waste of time. You know, people don't understand it. You're not allowed to tell them what you're doing. You can't beg. You can't inform. You're just wandering around wearing a bed sheet with a basin under your bowl. <laughs> Up and down High Street. What's the point of that? Your porch has your duty. You're a summoner. It's your duty. So that's what summoners do. You, you make yourself seen. Okay. 
walk up and down wasting our time. You know? Somebody gives us a forest in West Sussex. How much would that cost? Yeah. Trust it. And it's another quality. Duty. It's not a very popular word, duty. Because it's often dreary. Uh, military duty. I've got to spend three years in the army doing my military duty. Mm. It's my duty to do this kind of boring thing we do from a place of grudge for some automatic um, system, unfeeling system. But the summoner life is very much duties. It's called vata. Maybe duty is a difficult, not the best word for it, but it's the one we use. Vata means something you do repeatedly, systematically. Come rain, come shine. Within reason, of course. And it gives you a sense of shape. A duty, morning puja. Good morning puja. Bad morning puja, turgid morning puja, dreary morning puja. Morning puja, listen to people chanting terribly. Listen, morning puja having beautiful meditation experience. No, just do the morning puja. Till eventually all that, you know, confusion around details fades out. <laughs> the good, the bad, the indifferent, it just doesn't matter. You just do that. Because it gives a sense of channel, a channel which you operate in. And you notice your dislikes and likes and comparisons. Why do we have to do this? What's the point? Purpose? No purpose. Purpose is to do it. Yeah, yeah, but what's the point? The point is to do it. Yeah, but why? The point is to stop asking why. Till that bit of your mind begins to calm down, relax, and you, you do the duty. And people can, it brings people together. Yeah. And we begin to harmonize. So, correct vata brings around these subtle bonds, bindings, not really good words, but connections harmonize people. We form groups. We form a collective. Uh, and that's the principle of Vata. Mm. We'll pose it today. It's our duty to recite our training rules. You heard it last week. You heard it the week before and so forth, but it's your duty to recite the training rules every every two weeks, sorry, every two weeks. That's been going on since the time of the Buddha. Since the time of the Buddha, every two weeks. Haven't aren't you bored with it yet? <laughs> Have you had enough? No. Have they changed them? Nope. Same old thing. So eventually you're not there to dispute the rules, you're just there to be in that sense of I'm in this. I'm in a I'm in a 
community which goes back and across cultures I'm in a Sanka body and the same for the lay people taking the five precepts should do it every at least once a week take the eight precepts they say the it's recommended you only post it a day you take the eight precepts then he says you align yourself to the company of the wise you're forming you're following the same thread the same channel and for that particular time we're all our precepts are all exactly her precept to not harm is exactly the same as mine I've got a better precept or a more original one. <laughs> yeah. My not killing is much nicer than your not killing. <laughs> you know, it's just it's all that foolishness. And the sense of hurry up, do your duty. No, you don't hurry up, do your duty. You stay steady and do your duty from that place of steadiness. Because the duty is to do the duty. It's not to get the result. And that's where you change from duty is not the same as work. You work, most people are programmed by work, and work has always got their leaning forward to the end. Get it done, then we finished. Get it done, then we'll get to the payday or the end of the project. That's not vata. Vata is no end. We stay in the duty. We stay open. Yeah, to that we sustain it and the summer life is formed duty to the householders duty to the precepts duty to the fellow summoners duty to the lodgings duty to the bowl, the robe duty to the sick yeah. and so it gives you could say it's work but it's work which has no pay, no profit no reward in a way, result happens. We're not craving the result. We just we're not rushing the result. We just do the duty as cleanly, as clearly, as conscientiously as we can. And it erases the defilements of carelessness, agitation, competition, pride, uh, and sense of failure. It erases those defilements. Yeah. Unlike work, which doesn't. Work builds them up. So the person is getting reshaped in terms of duty, purpose, ethical orientation, and even their very physicality, their relationship with others. This remains our, our walking, talking, living, acting, meditation practice to be a pure person who has no identity. So now as our opposer uh, tonight, so our vata, our duty is the determining the uh, communal meditation 
practice and communal centering on this uh, uh, sustaining uh, vigil at least until midnight as a group. So I hope something's been useful there for you and uh, those of you who are watching somewhere else, please join us if you can.